Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Right. If it's okay with you, we're going to take a little bit of a break from Greg's uh, series that he's been doing today. But I am going to refer in part to what he shared last week and kind of try and build around that and build on top of it. Are we okay? Um, I don't know if you have ever had conjunctivitis before. Anyone ever had pink eye? Put your hand up. Come on, nice and high. You know what I'm talking about. It's not fun, hey? It's not fun at all. If you don't know what pink eye is, it's basically an infection in your eyes. They go red, they feel sandy, and it's not so much fun. And typically it happens when you get dirt on your fingers and you rub your eyes. And somehow that bacteria or whatever it is gets in there. I wanted to just try and connect with you today for those of you who have ever had eye infections before. Because I believe it's a great illustration of something that we're going to read about a little bit later on that Jesus shares. Um, the only cure for conjunctivitis really is to get the ointment and to put it on your eyes. Amen? To take the medicine, I suppose, as Greg was sharing last week. There's a scripture in Psalm 24, uh, verses 3 to 4. Um, the, uh, the psalmist is writing there, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. He's talking about this idea that when we come before God, it's really helpful that our hands are clean in the sense that we're not really engaging in sin. You know what I'm trying to say? There's sin that we are stuck in before we get saved, and then there's sin that we participate in at other times after we're saved, which really is a... An, it makes us much more difficult for us to connect with the Lord. He's saying clean hands and a pure heart is so helpful when we come before the Lord to really meet with Him. Amen. So I want to say today that it's possible that as Christians we can be engaging in sin in some way or form in an ongoing way um, and we can contract something that I like to think of as spiritual conjunctivitis okay my slide is up there you can see this condition is not called pink eye it's called plank eye okay where sin can cause us to have difficulty seeing and perceiving and a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is this whole idea of deception and how it plays out in our lives and how we can live free of deception and the kind of ointments that we can apply that will help us. Is that okay? I don't want us to be unknowingly in a place where we're suffering from this spiritual conjunctivitis and it actually is affecting our ability to see what God is doing, to hear what he's saying to us, to understand what he's leading us into. We can think that we know, but this infection might be working its way through somehow in our lives and being super unhelpful. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, and you'll find out very quickly why I've called this plank eye. 
Uh, I want to focus on a few verses later on in the 20s of chapter 7, but it'd be really good for us to get a bit of a summary of what, what Jesus is talking about. If you've got a Bible that's a red letter, I just want to show you it's Jesus talking, it's all red, okay? It's important for us to understand that as we get going. Um, so the first paragraph that you'll read in chapter 7 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. He goes on to say, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He's making a bit of a joke, because obviously we can't fit planks in our ideas. But he's talking about this condition where, and we see it all over society, where we like to point fingers. Have you ever seen it? In the news, they're constantly looking at the politicians. The way that they deflect attention away from their sel themselves is to point a finger somewhere else and try and shine a light off of themselves somewhere else. Does that make sense? There's this condition in our lives that we, we have a plank in our eye, an issue that God is calling us to deal with, but somehow we see past it to be able to find the little specks in other people's eyes. And Jesus is saying here, listen, don't judge because with the same measure that you use, you'll be judged. And he's not necessarily talking about we shouldn't judge. And we like to say, oh, don't judge me. Okay? But there's this idea that actually God wants us to look inwards. All right? God wants to look at the speck. He wants us to look at the plank, I should say, in our own eyes. So whilst this might be about how we look at other people in your mind, actually this chapter is all about introspection. It's about how we see ourselves and the lies that we might be telling ourselves and actually trying to overcome that deception so that we can walk free and in the light and actually see like God wants us to see. So he starts out with this whole idea of judging others. It goes on, I'm not going to read it, it goes on in verse 7 to talk about ask, seek and knock. You know the one about the door will be opened this whole idea, actually, if we run to God, I'm just summarizing now, that God is good. That his plans for us are good. That if we come to him with an open heart, we get goodness from the Lord. The devil wants us to think that when we're in sin, God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. And leave us with this sense of guilt and condemnation that we need to run from God, but actually we need to run to God. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. When there's an issue, if there's a plank in your life, don't run, come and ask and seek and knock because I have resources of my spirit to help you to overcome. All right? So we've started talking about don't look at other people, look at yourself. And when you look at yourself, run to Jesus. Okay? We go on and it talks about this whole idea of the narrow and wide gates. I'm going to read this. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Sometimes we might be tempted to think actually that once we're a Christian, there's certain things that are not a big deal anymore. And you'll get this sway of people who are really conservative all the way to the liberal people. But Jesus is saying, guys, let's look inwards here. 
Let's look inwards and remember that for us to come into the kingdom, we have to go through a narrow gate. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's very clear. I'm the only gate. But he goes on to say that once you get through the gate, the road doesn't widen and all the world is your oyster, carry on as you were. He says the way is narrow. Do you see that? That God calls us to a narrow way of living. Narrow-mindedness in this sense is not a bad thing. It's being focused solely on what God wants for our lives. Amen? So he's saying, don't judge other people. Come to me. Ask me for whatever you need. Remember that the gate and the way is narrow. Live your life with that in mind. He goes on to say, he goes on to talk about true and false prophets. Um, He says, watch out for false prophets because they come to you in sheep's clothing. Basically saying, they look good, but actually if you look at the fruit in their lives, you're going to see the fruit is not good. And you can tell a tree by its fruit. If the fruit is not good, the tree is not good. If the fruit is good, the tree is good. If there's no fruit... The tree gets chopped down. A brief summary of that passage of scripture. Jesus is saying there must be fruit. There must be fruit. Watch out for those who could lead you astray. And one of the questions we're asking ourselves is how will we know who's good and who's not? I'll talk about that a little bit later on. He goes on to talk, and this is going to, this is going to, trouble some people here today, I can, I can tell you right now. It talks about true and false disciples. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform miracles. And Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, simply, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. That word evil doers talks about someone who is just living sinfully, willfully in sin. Do you see what it's saying there? There are going to be people who think they are Christians on the day and they're going to stand before Jesus and they're going to say, didn't I drive out demons in your name? And demons probably were cast out in the name of Jesus. Didn't I perform miracles in your name? And miracles were performed in the name of Jesus. So there's this kind of miraculous going on, but Jesus looks at him and says, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. What's Jesus saying here? You can think that you're living a Christian life. It's possible that there will be people, there will be people on that day, let's be sure about that, who thought that they were Christians, but actually they had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. In the name of Jesus, they cast out demons. And you know what? God is so faithful to the name of Jesus that he honors the name of Jesus, no matter who prays the name of Jesus. And if, if a non-Christian cast, goes in the name of Jesus to cast out evil spirits, he'll answer that name because that name is precious. 
He'll honour his name above every situation. There's a scripture in uh, Philippians. Ruffle through my papers. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former, the ones he's talking about who preach out of envy and rivalry, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter, Paul says? It doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yet I will continue to rejoice. The point simply being is, please don't think that because you see demons or miracles being performed, that there's a relationship with Jesus. That's really a sobering thought. Amen. My goal today is uh, not for us to leave this place confused, but to look deep inside and be honest with ourselves. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, at, at the day, he's not going to be, I wish that you had listened to me. He'll just say, I'm sorry. I never knew you. And I would hate for that to be me or any of us today. So let's read then our verses today. It's a, a little passage, a few verses titled, The Wise and the Foolish Builders. Therefore, remember what Greg said before last week? If you see the word therefore, you've got to ask yourself what it's there for. Amen. And so we've just talked about the therefore before. And this is Jesus' answer to these questions and this shocking conversation that's been going on. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Everyone say practice. Say it again. Okay. Not everyone who just thinks about these things. Remember, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation. Everyone say foundation. foundation. Everyone, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Everyone say foolish. Who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I want to talk about that word amazed because if you're like me, a couple of times when I read that I thought they were all like, wow, Jesus is amazing. Listen to how he's teaching. But that word amazed covers a whole spectrum of emotional responses. And I want you to be clear about this. It means shocked. It means astonished. It means struck with panic even angry. 
The word amazed talks about this idea to strike one out of self-possession. So these people are there and they're just listening to us, a wonderful sermon. And Jesus says some stuff which is like a slap on the face. Out of their self-assurance and their complacency, they're like, what did he just say? Now their minds are going for it. Some are sitting there thinking, awesome preaching Jesus. Some are thinking, what? Am I even saved? Some of them are angry because they think Jesus is pointing a finger at them. Can you see? They were amazed, but it wasn't like, hey, they're all chanting his name, Jesus. They were confused. They were panicking. They were happy. They were angry. Jesus had stirred up some real emotion in these people, and he had done it on purpose. Now, I want to tell you that we, I believe, are a church that talk a lot about grace. Amen. And you've probably been, if you've been coming for a while, you've been just feeding on grace, and it's, it's encouraged you as we wanted to encourage you. But we mustn't forget about righteous living. Amen. And I want you just to imagine, it's a great illustration of someone walking on a tightrope. I think Greg has shared this before. You know the idea of when you're on a tightrope that the longer the balance beam that you have, the safer that you are. Amen? Can you imagine being a thousand foot above a, go- a gorge with a little broom handle? As soon as you lose your balance, you're a goner. What I want you to understand when you hear preaching from the front that maybe you don't quite like is because we believe that one side of that pole is full on into grace. We preach full on into grace because grace is what we need from the Lord. But if we just have a pole that's all grace, we will fall. Amen. The other side of the pole is righteous living, righteousness. And we preach full into righteousness because we believe that the two together are what produces life and fruit in our lives. Every now and then, If you start losing your balance, you quickly move the bar, don't you? And sometimes, that's what's going to happen from the front, okay? Because we're trying to stay on the rope, folks. We want you to know that we think there's no way without grace. But we also want you to understand that we need to, by the grace of God, by the power of God, do everything that we can to live righteously. We can't excuse unrighteous living because of grace. And so we have this tension, and sometimes it feels like you're sitting on a knife edge, and it's uncomfortable. And I know in my own heart and mind, I'm thinking grace, but I'm thinking righteousness, and this turmoil is going on in my own life. But this is what Jesus is talking about. How can we live empowered by the grace of God and live righteously? Amen. So that we don't live in deception, in spiritual conjunctivitis, or plank eye. Sometimes we need a slap on the chops to wake us up out of our stupor. And when you hear that kind of a message, we want you to know that you're loved. We love you enough that we'll get up and talk about these things and say there is a plumb line. There is a spirit level. There is a way. Let's focus on these things. Is that okay?
Some of you are feeling okay. Others of you are feeling stressed. That's okay. If you're feeling angry or upset, that's great. We want you to work through those emotions and ask the right questions and talk to us. Amen. Please don't run away with a bee in your bonnet saying those people, they're so judgmental. That's not who we are. By the grace of God, we don't want to be those people. We want to encourage you and empower you. All right, so let's talk about how we can apply ointment if we feel like maybe we're in this situation. There's three keys for us that I want to talk about today. And I want to just use a slightly different analogy now. I want to talk about the idea of when you build a house. Some of you will have built your own home. Others have just moved into home after home. But when you build a house, there is a place that you start. Amen. Can anyone tell me what the first thing is that you have to build of a house? You guys, you're so clever. Okay. Any house that has a deep and sure foundation is going to stand well. Amen. And so that's where I really want us to focus our attention is on the foundations first. You know, sometimes if you've had the misfortune, you've moved into a house where the foundations haven't been great and you've inherited problems in the structure of your house and you've had to spend a lot of money and do it in the wrong order to try and fix that problem. So what I want to do is say foundations are the most important thing for us to get in place. And that's why I'm saying to Brenda, it'll be okay if a few more come to your course. This is about building foundations in our lives. You may have been in the church for a while and actually you might think you've got great foundations, but they're a bit ropey in places. Better we find that out now and dig out that rubbish foundation and put a new one in. Amen. Rather than think we're okay and carry on building and our house creaks. Okay. So how do we lay a solid foundation? Isaiah 28 verse 16 says, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Everyone say a sure foundation. Okay. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What he's simply saying is here, the foundation of our lives is not our stuff. It's not our intellect. It's not our house or our car or our job or our money. The foundation of salvation itself is Jesus. And this is what Ezekiel was talking about, I should say Isaiah was talking about in this scripture. If our lives are built on a relationship of foundation in Jesus, we will never be shaken. So the first thing I really want to say to you today, you may be here and you've been a Christian for a while. That's fine. You may be here but you've never actually begun the journey of faith and given your life to Jesus and made him the king of your life. That is the most important step that you can take today. If you have never received Jesus into your life, you need to have him. He is the sure foundation. He is the tested stone. He is the precious cornerstone. Everything revolves around Jesus. Let me be clear today. We must 
have a relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to know about him. We must know him. Amen. And there'll be an opportunity for you today at the end of this service if you've never received him to do that. Okay. Jesus is the foundation, but I also want to say that his word is the foundation. Some people might be tempted to separate Jesus from his word. And there is teaching out there that says we've made far too much of the Bible and it's actually just Jesus that we need. And I would say you're going to fall off the tightrope if you think like that. Okay? Jesus is the foundation. His word is our foundation. Both of them are our foundation. Okay. Um, John chapter 1 verse 14 says, In the beginning... Well, hang on, let me find it for you. John chapter 1, verse 1. I want to read it to you. I'm going to read that in verse 14. Just bear with me. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? That Word, which we read as Word, is the Greek word logos, which talks about speech. But what, this, what the Bible is saying here is that right in the beginning was the Word. Jesus always was and always has been. Okay? He was with God and he was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and, we, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to say today that if you want to build a solid foundation of faith, you want to build on Jesus and you want to build on his word. How on earth do you know who God is or who Jesus is without reading this? One of the devil's chief tactics is to tell us some of this is good, the rest of it is, pff, nah, not so important. Some of us might like some of the things that we read, but not like some of the other things. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we understand it all or not, whether we like it all or not, means nothing. It's true, whether I like it or not. And as soon as I start to say things like, I like that bit, but I don't believe that bit, where do you stop? Where do you stop? Who decides where the line is? Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed. There's no confusion in the translation of that phrase, God-breathed. He's declaring openly and clearly for us that this is the will of God for our lives. This is the spiritual template. You know when you build a house... When an architect designs your house, you get a set of drawings. And those drawings have been really well thought through. The architect thinks about the load that walls are going to have to carry, the weight of the roof, about openings. He thinks about the kind of ground that the building is going to be built upon. He factors all of that in and he comes up with very precise plans. Now, anyone who is a substantial builder will pay close attention to the plans. A cowboy will do what he wants. Have you heard that phrase, cowboy builders? 
We have to build from the plans. Even if we don't understand the plans, we have to trust the architect that he knows what he's talking about. Is that helpful? Get the right foundations in. The second stage after you've got the foundations in is build the walls. Okay? There's an order. And simply what I want to say here is that when we've taken the time to lay our foundations, to know where the boundaries are for our house, we build our walls on those foundations. Layer upon layer, brick by brick, up they come. And we pay special attention to make sure that the walls are vertical and straight. And we have things like spirit levels that help us to see if we're building straight because our eye thinks it's straight. But if it's not, it'll show up later on. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit help us build straight walls. It's really important. You know, it's not a good idea to build all the way along a foundation line and when you get to the corner of the foundation think, no man, I just want to go a little bit further. And we build on the soil. And then we come back and then we meet the foundation. We think, well, most of it's on the foundation, that's okay. You know what's going to happen to that wall later on down the line, don't you? I worked as a plasterer for four years and in many houses that I plastered in, I could see where there were just surface cracks in the plaster where the plaster had blown and I could see where there were stress fractures. They would run up a wall and through a corner and it doesn't matter how much plaster you put on, the crack keeps coming through because there's movement in the wall. You can't put a plaster on it and pretend it's going to be okay. You must build on a sure foundation and build up straight. Amen. Or you will be what Jesus termed foolish. Okay. The word wise means thoughtful, prudent, mindful, careful, discerning. We ought to live our lives like that. When we build our lives in faith, we should be found to be thoughtful, prudent, mindful, careful, discerning. You know the word foolish comes from the Greek word moros, which sounds familiar to another word that we know. It means godless, it means ignorant, it means uninformed, it means absurd, it means blockhead. That was actually in the translation. Lacking awareness, blind to the obvious. The person who lives their life in such that you go, why did you do that? What on earth were you thinking? How did you imagine this was going to play out? Let's not be that person. Amen. So, lay a solid foundation. Build the walls on those same foundations. And then the last point is this. The architect, who is the owner of the building, who is the building inspector, will come and will sign off on the building. Okay? At the end of every building project, it pretty much happens through the life of the project at different stages, but there comes a point when everyone signs off and says, this is done now, it's good, I'm happy with everything about this. There's going to come a time when Jesus comes back and he's going to sign off on our lives. I want to read you from 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, Paul says, By the grace that God, and he's talking about how he has built foundations into people's lives. But it's this whole idea of building in our own lives, other people building into our lives, other people building on what people have built into our lives. Do you understand? Paul says, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a, wide, as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one, each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, that's good, or wood, hay, or straw, that's not great, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, and that's a capital D, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So there's going to be a judgment where we'll, everyone will be judged whether they're in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? Those who don't know Jesus will be put aside and their destination will be hell. And then the others who love Jesus, there will be another judgment for them on works, on how they've lived their lives. They'll all go into heaven, but the Bible makes it clear here that there'll be some that get in by the skin of their teeth. In fact, their tails will be burnt as they went just past the flames of hell. Okay? Now, we can build wisely with costly and precious stones and receive a reward, or we can build foolishly and, and much of what we built will be burned up. And Paul says that those people will suffer loss. I want you to think about that for a minute. How is that possible? How can a Christian suffer loss? What are you building with your life right now? Because I pray that when Jesus comes back, I won't consider myself to have suffered loss. That word, to suffer loss, let me just define it for you, means to be damaged or sustain injury. It's possible that as Christians we can live our lives in such a way that we get damaged in this life and we sustain injury even though we're born again and we love Jesus and we'll go to heaven. But we'll suffer loss in this life because we are building foolishly. I don't want that to be us, please. I want us to go into the promised land, as Greg has been preaching, where we live a promised life now, and when we inherit the promises of heaven when we get there. But at the end of the day, it's up to us where we want to lay the blocks as we build our lives. And this is basically where we're going to end today. I want to leave you with some questions. David prayed in the Psalms in 139. He said, Search me, God and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way within me. And he goes on to say, lead me in the way everlasting. When he says, search me, God, do you know what David is doing? He's saying, God, I give you permission to look into my life. We all need to give God permission to look in deeply, deeply into our lives, into every nook and cranny. We need to constantly be reevaluating, saying, Jesus, look in, look in. I am, I'm not protecting anything in my life. Look in, see, search me, and know my heart. I give you permission. That involves being honest with God and being honest with ourselves. Amen. Be honest with yourself and be honest with the Lord. He goes on to say, test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's an interesting statement. But many of us are driven by the fears in our lives to live foolishly. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Show me where my anxiety lies. Your deepest fears reveal where you trust God the least. Your deepest fears reveal where you trust God the least. If there's fear driving you along, ask yourself why. Because when you give God that area of your life and you trust him, that fear won't drive you. You'll be led by faith. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid that you might be alone forever? Are you afraid that God won't provide for the needs that you have? Are you afraid that he might forget about you? What is the fear that you live with that causes you to live in an unhealthy way? Jesus wants to heal that fear today. He wants to heal you of that fear. See if there is any offensive way within me. Lord, I've given you permission to look in. I've asked you to see where my fears lie. Now show me my sin. Show me my sin. That's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? Because we don't want to look at that sometimes. We don't want to acknowledge it. It's going to require something from me to change it. And I'm not sure I want to pay the price. That's the reality, isn't it? I don't really care how it's hurting me. I just like the status quo. I want to, ask, I want to give you three questions to ask for your own self-awareness. What are others trying to tell me? Remember that. If there are three or four people and they're coming to you and they're people that love you and you trust them and they're saying, I'm not sure about this area of your life. What's going on there? If there are three or four people saying that, there's a common denominator, isn't there? It's you. What is it? Stop pretending it's not there. Amen. The second question, what have I rationalized for some time now? You might be saying things like, this may not be right, but it's not a big deal. You might say things like, this is how I deal with things. You might say, this is how I cope. You might find yourself saying things like, this is nobody else's business. 
you might say things like, well, this is not really hurting anybody anyway. You might say things like, I'm going to stop at some point. It's not a big deal. That's lying to yourself. I've done that so much in my life. That's self-deception. What am I rationalising away? I'm not being honest with myself. And the third question that you can ask yourself, so we've had, what are others trying to tell me? What have I rationalised for some time? And my last question really is, where am I the most defensive? Where am I the most defensive? We're not going there. I don't want to talk about this. Shush. That's a symptom. And it's not good. Please hear me today. We love you guys. We really do. We love you enough to say things that might shock you and leave you angry. You might be angry with me right now. I can deal with that. I hope we'll be able to move past that. And there'll be fruitfulness in your life as a result of the conversations that we'll have. That's what we want. We're not trying to judge anybody or point fingers. This is how we live with each other. Amen. We encourage one another. We're on a journey together, folks. We don't stop till the trumpets sound. Amen. I'm one of the most gracious people, I think, around. I hope I am. And I'm trying to be more gracious than ever. But we also, we also have to be true to the Word of God and true to our Saviour Jesus. And somewhere in the middle, we've got to work it out. Grace and righteousness. We've got to work the sin out of our lives so we can be free, so we can inherit the fullness that God has for us. Amen. Amen. Not putting plasters on everything and pretending it's not there because it's difficult. Let's be real. Let's move on. Let's progress. Let's inherit in this life. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.